Unleashed. I'm Allison Camerata. This is CNN Tonight. A week after the removal of 11 sets of classified documents from Mar-a-Lago, some of them labeled top secret, tonight there is more intrigue about exactly what information was being stored in Donald Trump's basement and why. The Department of Justice says it opposes the release of the affidavit behind the search warrant. That's the document where prosecutors lay out in detail their probable cause to believe a crime was committed and why they thought they would find evidence at the former president's home. In a new filing, the DOJ writes, quote, disclosure at this juncture of the affidavit supporting probable cause would cause significant and irreparable damage to this ongoing criminal investigation. It contains highly sensitive information about witnesses, specific investigative techniques, and information required by law to be kept under seal. If disclosed, the affidavit would serve as a roadmap to the government's ongoing investigation. Okay, that's new information. There are three key takeaways in this filing. Number one, they say there's an ongoing criminal investigation. In other words, this is more than just a retrieval of sensitive documents. Number two, they say, quote, revelation of witness identities would impact their willingness to cooperate with the investigation. That means that someone or more than one person is cooperating with the DOJ. And number three, Disclosure of the government affidavit would chill future cooperation in other high-profile investigations. What are those other investigations? The DOJ also adds, quote, the government does not object to unsealing other materials filed in connection with the search warrant, whose unsealing would not jeopardize the integrity of this national security investigation. The top senators from each party on the Intel Committee, Mark Warner and Marco Rubio, sent a private letter yesterday to the Director of National Intelligence and Attorney General Merrick Garland requesting more information on the records seized. And the ranking member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Mike McCall, made this argument on CNN earlier. The affidavit of probable cause and support of the warrant, we need to see that in Congress on the intelligence committees need to see this as well. If it's such a national security threat, then why weren't we briefed? And we would like to be briefed on that issue. It's interesting to see former President Trump in this situation, since we all remember how vehemently he campaigned on the protection of classified info. We also need the best protection of classified information. In my administration, I'm going to enforce all laws concerning the protection of classified information. No one will be above the law. And that brings us to another major development today involving a different investigation, this one in Georgia. Donald Trump's former lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, was told this morning by prosecutors that he is a target of the special grand jury criminal probe into the 2020 election interference, raising the serious threat of a potential indictment. Giuliani was ordered to appear in person before that same grand jury this week. Joining me now to help unpack all of this, we have former federal prosecutor Ellie Honing. We also have Miles Taylor, former DHS chief of staff in the Trump administration, and our senior political analyst, John Avalon. Gentlemen, great to have all of you here. Okay, Ellie, let's start. Unpack this DOJ statement for us. You read between the lines for us. Yeah, so first of all, if this affidavit comes out, it will blow the lid off of this whole thing. Just for comparison's sake, we've now seen two documents unsealed. The search warrant, that was three pages. The receipt for property, that was three pages. It's mostly a checklist. This document, over under 100 pages, I've seen many of these, I've done many of these, it will give us the full narrative of how DOJ established probable cause. I understand fully 
why DOJ is fighting the release of this. It will be dreadful for their investigation. As they say, it could deter current and potential future cooperating witnesses. And frankly, it's not fair to the person who's being investigated, right? Everyone, including Donald Trump, has a right to be presumed innocent. And DOJ should not be in the business of getting out there and making statements before anyone's been charged saying, hey, everyone, here's all our evidence that makes us think he probably committed a crime. But just quickly, what about the lawmakers who are on the intel committees? They have security clearance. Can they see this stuff? So that's a tough decision for Merrick Garland. The prosecutorial purist in me says, absolutely not. I don't trust anybody. I don't want to march this up to Capitol Hill. But you have to live in political reality. I think if I was in Merrick Garland's shoes, I would try to find some way where I could brief the smallest number of people with as little detail as possible. Miles, you have been in the room when President Trump was handling classified info. Does any of this come as a surprise to you? No, not at all. I mean, Allison, this is the sum of our fears from that time period, which was cabinet secretaries, assistants to the president would be worried about briefing Donald Trump on sensitive information because he would go talk about these things with people. We've seen Donald Trump tweeting out photos uh, from spy satellites, you know, allegedly revealed very sensitive intelligence in the Oval Office to the Russians. I remember getting that phone call and my jaw dropping. I was just outside the Oval Office once when a group of reporters were in there and the president took fistfuls of classified information and waved them in front of the reporters and bragged about what he had access to. There was also a photographer in the room. Afterwards, we made sure pictures hadn't been taken. This was a big concern. Now, what I will say that people aren't pointing to is how serious the information leveling in. Secret information is defined under law as information that, if released, could cause grave damage to national security. Top secret, if released, could cause exceptionally grave damage to national security. What we're talking about, according to reports, is information that's even above that. That's what's called SCI, sensitive compartmented information. And these are the things that we would worry about if Donald Trump looked at them, that those sources and methods, those sensitive intelligence pieces of information, if they got out, could result in lives lost and danger to this country. That's what we're talking about here. And anyone else would go to jail for having taken those types of documents outside the government. John, one of the interesting things is hearing um, Donald Trump explain what happened. And so first he said that um, the FBI basically stole his possessions. And in a different uh, truth social message, he said that the FBI planted the information. So in other words, Mm. they brought 20 boxes of highly classified information into a padlocked room and planted it there. I'm not sure about that Houdini trick. It's almost like it's inconsistent in a desperate string of lies, isn't it, Allison? (laughs) I mean, look, I mean, that's what we're dealing with here. We we have somebody who's desperately changing their story midstream and uh, knowing that the base will back him up no matter what he says and hoping that logic doesn't apply, just like he's hoping laws don't apply. And so, I mean, you know, there is this basic question. uh, It's whether equal justice under, under law applies to Donald Trump and whether... Um, Donald Trump should be held to basic standards that other citizens and civilians should be held, or whether the basic argument at the end of the day is, you know what, if a president does it, it's not illegal, especially if Donald Trump does it. Okay, I do want to talk about that, because the process of declassification. So is it what basically former President Trump is saying, which is you can wave a magic wand if you're the president and go, poof, you're declassified? Is that how it works? Constitutionally, yes. Okay, The declassification authority rests with the chief executive. That's the president. The president is not just the head of the executive branch. He is the executive branch. Yes, there are all manner of 
forms and protocols and procedures and worksheets that one should follow. So it's done in an orderly manner. So people know what has been classified and declassified that presidents of both parties have observed for a long time. But if we're talking about just the law and constitutionally, the president has the power and it cannot be, no pun intended, cannot be trumped because one of the agencies in the executive branch has come up with a worksheet that wasn't filled out. So we do need to keep that in mind. The law allows very broad perhaps even broader than we like, but the reality is very broad declassification authority. But Miles, that doesn't make sense. How can any president, forget Donald Trump, just any president, say, poof, you're declassified and never fill out any paperwork and not tell anybody that? Uh, And I think we're going to have a national commission on this after the fact, (laughs) because both sides are going to be upset depending on the outcome of this case. But I've got to side with Ellie here. I, I think it's egregious if Donald Trump left the White House with this information. At the same time, though, you can already see in his early defense of him saying, well, it was declassified. I have This is speculative, but I really, really doubt Donald Trump proactively declassified any of this upon leaving. But it's very hard to show that. He does have extensive authority in this space as a commander in chief. He could have said, yes, I declassified it on the day I was leaving office. And there's no provision in the Constitution that says this is how that has to be done. I think if it went up to the Supreme Court, probably the Supreme Court would side in his favor. And two two quick things, if I can. Wait, let me just say... He has very broad authority to declassify, but there's a legitimate question about whether he actually did. Correct. Well, if he didn't tell anybody, how will we ever know? <laughs> That's exactly the point. Prosecutors come down to yes. this, this is the fundamental problem: is that their argument yeah. will be he could have declassified something in his mind on 11:59 a.m. on January 20th, and it's all legit, even if the bo- as the boxes were being loaded up to Mar-a-Lago. And that's what juries the, are for. The yeah. practical problem in this has to do with uh, little things like. I mean, Richard Nixon went to oh, the whole court case around Nixon v. United States where he said the tapes are his personal possession. People said no. Well, was, did you just lack the wit to say I declassified all of that? No. I, mean, I mean, you know, look, I mean, the, the larger point is Donald Trump gets treated like a malevolent child and excuses are made. And the additional problem is no other ex-president would ever, we would not think that someone would take highly classified documents, put them in his basement, and then argue that they're rightfully his. Well, no, that's different than if it's constitutionally somehow okay. I mean, that's just different. Well, I'm going to switch sides. It might be constituted here saying that it might be constitutionally I'm going to switch sides on the table here, and I'm going to actually defend your point, John. I think if push comes to shove on this, we should live in a nation of laws where when the president exercises an authority, it should be documented. And if the president's going to declassify something, whether he writes it on a cocktail napkin or the form that Ellie mentioned, it should be documented. That's what this could ultimately turn on if it went up to the high court at the end. All right, if you're going to hold everybody to that high standard, (laughs) the the cocktail napkin standard. Uh, Thanks so much, gentlemen. Ellie Honing, Miles Teller. Stick around. John, thank you. Stick around also. Okay, Donald Trump's messaging about the search of his home has been particularly confusing. Why? His former press secretary, Stephanie Grisham, is here next. We've heard a lot of different stories from Donald Trump since the feds retrieved more than 20 boxes of classified material from his home one week ago today. First, he said he'd been, quote, working and cooperating with government agencies. Then he claimed authorities could have had the documents anytime they wanted, though they'd been asking for them for more than a year. Then he tried to claim the information was somehow planted by FBI agents, though he said it was all padlocked. Then he claimed he'd actually already declassified all of the documents, though he didn't say how or where or when. Then he said they are somehow protected by attorney-client or executive privilege. And now today he's claiming that the FBI, quote, stole his three passports along with, quote, everything else. 
More importantly, he's attacking the FBI again with heated rhetoric as it faces unprecedented death threats, despite saying in a new interview that the, quote, temperature has to be brought down. Let's bring in former Trump White House Press Secretary Stephanie Grisham for help with all of this. Stephanie, great to see you. Is this um, called just flooding the zone? I mean, is this just all of this different messaging? Is this just designed to create chaos or what do you see here? So thank you for having me. Good to see you. Um, I have been saying, you know, there's this playbook in Trump world and it's deny, destroy, distract. So he's doing his best to deny and obviously uh, he's doing his best to destroy. And that that comes in in the form of attacking DOJ and law enforcement, FBI, etc. And now I think we're in the distract mode where he's honestly trying to throw anything at the wall that will stick. And if he finds a message that will Dick, I think that's what what he'll he'll stick with. No pun intended there. Um, it's interesting to watch him because usually he's so sure about his message and he doubles, triples, quadruples down on it. And this time it has been interesting to watch how it's changing. And that tells me that there are people around him saying, "Look, this isn't working. You you can't you know you can't be saying this, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. It's interesting to me that you know he says that he reached out to Merrick Garland about taking the temperature down. You can do that, sir. I hope I, I hope someone's watching. You can do that by going to Truth Social. You know, you can do that by telling anybody on Fox or all your surrogates to just say there is no room for violence here. Let have let's have this play out. Innocent until proven guilty. Hmm. So I, I don't buy the whole I've reached out, you know, we have to take the temperature down. I think someone is telling him that maybe he's taken it a little too far this time. What do you think his mindset is tonight? Paranoia and anger. If I had to guess, I was actually speaking with somebody um, in Trump world today and we were actually talking about what it must be like. And, you know, we saw some crazy things and, and he was always very paranoid. He always was very paranoid. That's something I've talked about before. Paranoid about leakers, etc. But he was also very paranoid about odd things. He thought people were stealing from him a lot. So today when I saw the whole the FBI stole my passport, that came as no surprise to me. Um, I think right now he's angry and, and he's paranoid. I would imagine he's nervous. There are so many investigations happening and so much news coming that it's hard almost to keep up with. And also, Stephanie, to that point, I mean, one of the things that the DOJ said in their statement was that putting out the affidavit would endanger the sources, basically, that they have been using. In other words, there is somebody in Trump world who has been cooperating with the DOJ and giving them this information. And the DOJ has to protect that person or persons. So how does Donald Trump respond to that? Well, in, you know, I think the paranoia, it's got to be at, you know, DEFCON 5 right now. I can't imagine what it's like to be somebody around him. He's got such a small circle. Um, and another thing I would say to that is, you know, I think that's why Republicans are working so hard to get the affidavit. I don't think it's because they want transparency. I think they're honestly trying to root out, you know, who might be cooperating. From day one, I have felt that somebody nearby is cooperating for them to know kind of where the documents were, what room in Mar-a-Lago, et cetera. Um, I'm glad the DOJ is standing firm there because as we've seen with the rhetoric with the FBI and the DOJ, whoever is cooperating, if it's one or more, that person could be in danger at some point when, you know, this all comes out. So um, I'm glad they're standing strong there. But in danger from whom? Well, Trump supporters. I mean, look at what is happening right now. You know, look at what people are saying about killing FBI agents, killing anybody involved with this, killing Merrick Garland. Um, it's been shown that anybody who speaks out against Trump will be threatened. I've been threatened. 
Cassidy Hutchinson, Olivia Troy, all of the people who have spoken out have been threatened. And I, I think that that's important that DOJ is standing strong to protect this witness. I also think it protects the integrity of the case because there might be other people who want to come forward. And if it looks like you can't do it confidentially, what? why would you want to come forward? It's scary to come forward. Yeah. It's interesting to hear that, that, that some in Trump world want the affidavit released because, okay, it might help them root out whoever is the cooperator, but it also would reveal so much. Does Donald Trump want the affidavit with everything that it reveals in terms of what the DOJ thinks that he, you know, absconded with, basically? So I know that sounds crazy to most people, as it should. Um, but yeah, they would probably want to know, you know, what's in there so that they can form messaging around it and figure out how to deny, distract, destroy people. I think they want to know as much as they can so they can start making excuses and formulating lies. Mm. And in terms of the rhetoric that Donald Trump is using and that his Republican supporters, um, even lawmakers, are echoing, can they still claim to be, I mean, it's, it's so anti-law enforcement. Do they have any claims still to being a pro-police party? I don't, I don't see how they do. Um, you can't, you know, talk about protecting law enforcement and how important they are on one side of your mouth and then saying, you know, these people planted evidence, they're all corrupt, it's all deep state. I just... I'm so disappointed in my party right now. And at the very least, couldn't you say, let's wait and see what happens? Why do you have to put literal marks on these people's backs? They're doing their jobs. These are people doing their jobs. Um, so it's disappointing and I, I don't see how they move away from it, which is why I almost think they're kind of doubling down. I think they've all crossed a line in the sand that they, they can't get back from at this point. Stephanie Grisham, thanks for the insight. Great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Well, it's the eve of another election that we'll be watching very closely. Liz Cheney, the most prominent Republican in Congress to take on Donald Trump, is fighting to keep her seat in tomorrow's GOP primary in Wyoming. The vice chair of the January 6th committee is facing a steep uphill battle. You're about to hear from two Wyoming voters with very different takes on Liz Cheney's fate. That's next. Wyoming has the smallest population in the country, yet its congressional primary race tomorrow is highly anticipated. The Cowboy State has only one congressional seat, and right now it's filled by Republican Liz Cheney. But it is an uphill battle for her to keep that seat after she voted to impeach Donald Trump and then became the vice chair of the January 6th committee. Trump won Wyoming with almost 70 percent of the vote in 2020. And at the moment, Cheney is running almost 30 percentage points behind her Trump-backed opponent, Harriet Hageman. Cheney is even asking Democrats to switch parties to vote for her. So I want to get perspective from two Wyoming voters, one a Democrat who did switch parties just to vote for Cheney, and the other a Republican who plans to vote against Liz Cheney. So let's start there with Myrna Burgess. Myrna, thanks so much for your time. What don't you like about Liz Cheney? Well, I think one thing that stands out to me at this point of time is that while she has been a very conservative vote in the legislature, 
she just seems to be swinging a little bit more toward the left. But even before that, in the last couple of years, it just does not feel like she really represents the state anymore. And let's talk about that, Myrna, because when you say she's swinging more towards the left, I mean, I think that she voted on, in terms of the issues, she is where Donald Trump is. She voted with Donald Trump, I think, on 93% of the time. She's conservative. And so... I get that. Yeah. So so what, in terms of, why aren't those issues or her positions on those issues as important to you? Well, like I say, that has been the case. But here recently, I mean, you take, for example, the gun vote. That is not pro-Wyoming. She's not representing her constituents anymore. When you start voting against guns in the, the Second Amendment, that becomes an issue for a very large number of Wyoming voters. And then you look at the chip bill. That is a basically a corporate giveaway. And that's not something that's a, exactly a conservative vote either. And how do you feel about the role that she's played in investigating the January 6th insurrection? I don't like it. Why not? I feel like, well, I feel like she did not even bother to stop at the very inception of this. Her basic take on it was, I do not, I don't know what the facts are. I've already made up my mind. And she said something very much to that point. She already made up her mind before she ever went in. He was guilty of what they say he did. But are you comfortable with it being investigated? Investigate away. Just don't make it a setup. Things do need to be investigated, but they need to be investigated fairly. And do you think that Joe Biden is the legitimate winner of the election? I think there was a lot of heavy cavy stuff. There were a lot of states that basically pulled a lot of things that really weren't very legal. I think there were a lot of things behind the scenes. I don't know for sure, but I, I'm a little bit doubtful myself. Yes. And does it console you at all that there were, you know, something like 60 plus judges, some of them Trump appointed, all of whom looked at whatever evidence was presented to them. And they decided that there was no evidence of any sort of significant fraud that would have uh, swung the election to Donald Trump and that Joe Biden was the legitimate winner? I'm not really sure what to think about that. Um, that's that's kind of a hard one for me to look at. I also know that a lot of people that I consider very trustworthy sources have looked at the data and they've looked at, they're very good at stat- statistics and things like that. And they're just things that don't quite add up. So what do you think, Liz Cheney? I'm not sure if the judges have information or if they didn't. What do you think Liz Cheney's future is? Well, it's kind of hard to say whether she'll win here. I mean, it is possible that she will. Um, There's plenty of Cheney supporters out there. There's plenty of Cheney signs, but there's plenty of Hageman signs too. But I have a suspicion she's got something else on her plate. And I think that Wyoming always was a stepping stone. I don't think it was her first. I mean, it was her first step, but I don't think it was her ultimate goal. Meaning president. I don't know. I have no idea what's in her mind. I It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, that's been rumored very much. It's a possibility, but I don't think it'll happen even if... <laughs> Even if she runs, I really can't see it happening. 
Myrna Burgess, thank you very much. We appreciate getting your perspective on all of this. And now I you want bet. to turn to Pat Lauber, who's a registered Democrat for 40 years, but switched parties so she could vote for Liz Cheney. So, Pat, thank you very much for being here. So you are a lifelong Democrat. Why are you voting for someone as conservative as Congresswoman Cheney? Well, it isn't because of any policies that she has supported, but I think it's literally a vote to help save the republic. I see her as a person of courage and integrity who has told the truth that Donald Trump lost the election and yet tried with lies and manipulation to stay in office anyway. Pat, isn't it so interesting? I mean, just the way, you know, you represent the Democrat here and, you know, we just talked to Myrna about this, that you're willing, to, both of you are willing to overlook her position on the issues. You, you don't think that her position on the issues is as important. I, is that true? That is true. I think you can always write a letter, talk to your uh, representative's office and argue policy. But when it comes to having a free and fair election, that is essential and that has to be upheld. I don't want Wyoming's lone representative to be someone who is beholden to uh, an individual who demands absolute loyalty no matter what tricks he's up to. Um, and I think that Harriet Hageman knows perfectly well that the election was not stolen, that it was not fraudulent, but she says what Trump um, wants to hear and therefore got his endorsement. I think that's um, pure ambition. Um, Pat, as I'm sure you know, Democrats are outnumbered in Wyoming. And the, at the moment, the, <laughs> poll, the poll numbers are not looking good for Congresswoman Cheney. However, anything's possible, of course, tomorrow. Do you think that she is going to win? I, I think the chances are very slim um, because um, her party has ostracized her and many Republican voters will listen to the extreme leadership that um, is in charge of the Wyoming GOP at this time. They will follow that lead. And then what do you think is next for her? Would you vote for her for president? I doubt that very much. <laughs> I don't think that I would. Um, I think she's not going away, though. I think whatever happens um, tomorrow, that we have certainly not seen the last of Liz Cheney. Um, she's um, highly intelligent, driven. Um, and I, I think she is committed to serving the country. Pat Lauber, thank you very much. Really appreciate getting your perspective as well. You're welcome. So what happens if Liz Cheney loses? Our political experts look at where her fight to stop Donald Trump could go next and what tomorrow's results might mean for the MAGA movement nationwide. When CNN Tonight returns.
So Liz Cheney, one of the most conservative Republicans in the House who voted for Trump's agenda 93% of the time, is getting more support from Democrats than Republicans in her home state and by an incredibly wide margin. A University of Wyoming poll shows Cheney has the backing of 98% of Wyoming Democrats, but only 15% of Republican voters there. Congressman Adam Kinzinger, the only other Republican on the January 6th committee, tells CNN that Cheney's race is a bellwether for the party. The party's in a bad place. Um, Look, we are standing up against evil. Liz Cheney is standing up against evil. She has fought a valiant fight. Her fight is not over regardless of what happens on Tuesday. And uh, I think it says a lot about the party if she loses. I think it says a lot about the party that we're quick to say defund the FBI and support a guy like Donald Trump. Let's continue the conversation with S.E. Cup, John Avalon, and Hillary Rosen. Great to have all of you guys here. Hillary, uh, politics makes strange bedfellows. It does. And now Democrats love Liz Cheney. <laughs> yeah. Is that, I mean, that's just incredible. You know, we just had this segment on hearing why a Democrat in Wyoming is going to vote for her and why a Republican is so disenchanted with her. Ultimately, I don't know that it's going to be enough necessarily no, to, like to save will, but... her. But what do you think of these shifting sands? You know, it's we have a common enemy in Donald Trump, right? I mean, you know, politics makes strange bedfellows. But I, I, I think, look, if I lived in Wyoming, I would vote for Liz Cheney because a Republican is going to be in that seat. So it might as well be Liz Cheney than, you know, um, uh, this woman who was just it's beyond me that somebody's going to put her in the House. Um, but I. You know, look, Liz Cheney is still uh, anti-abortion. She still, you know, has a huge level of conservatism. I, I don't think, I think she's going to be a woman without a party. You know, this, all these people speculating that she's going to now become a Democrat or she's going to run as an independent or let her be, you know, a, a vice presidential candidate for the Democrats. Like, I just don't see any of that. Right. There's really no, no. party that, that Liz Cheney is going to be welcome in at yeah. this point. And, and it's too bad because I think history is going to treat her well. And she's performed an amazing, courageous, valuable service over this last year. And that's such a great point because politics also makes fair weather friends. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I, mm-hmm. when we had that Democrat on from Wyoming just now, she really loves Liz Cheney. But when right. I said, would you vote for, for president? Oh, no. <laughs> well, listen, uh, people come into your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> and Liz okay, Cheney <laughs> is a means to an end, right? The Democrats might like her now. She will not be their favorite for a lifetime. She's there for a reason. Just like I voted for Joe Biden as a means to an end, uh, knowing I wouldn't like his policies. But she's a means to an end, and so she's for now. Yeah, but what's her end? Well, I mean, to Hillary's point, I don't think she has a whole lot of natural Cheney fans. Um, as, as you're all pointing out, she's very conservative, to, to the right of me. Um, you know, and um, I always have to remind Democrats of that. And then to the rest of the party, she's a traitor. Um, So I'm not really sure. She has Mike Pence's problems, really. Um, He's a traitor um, to to Trumpies. And to people like me, um, he he wasn't the stopgap to Trump that we wanted him to be. So I'm not really sure. This might be her goal, to be this person that stands up and, um, you know, fights the good fight, gives other Republicans permission to talk the way she does about Donald Trump, and and maybe um, be, be a voice in the future for folks like me uh, who are disenchanted with the party. But I don't, I don't think she's got, um, I don't think she has designs on running for president. I don't. Your thoughts? I don't. 
Look, I, I think the fact that Liz Cheney is politically homeless right now speaks to the insanity of our politics. Um, There's someone who's very conservative. And the fact that she's been thrown out of the Republican Party speaks to the fact also that it's not really about ideas right now. No, right. It's actually right. about loyalty, fealty to one yeah. person. That's right. And that's a fundamental problem, too. History will be kind to her. She is fighting the good fight. And, and you can also say with certainty that for Democrats who might say, you know what, I disagree with her on policy positions, she's right on the only issue that counts at the end of the day. The means to an end. Commitment right. to democracy. That's right. And, and, and if, if Democrats mean what they say about the broadest possible coalition to defend democracy, then Liz Cheney is someone you want in your team. Well, and she mm-hmm. also has, I, I think, she, she has a mission which is useful um, for the next two years, which is she has decided that win or lose, her job is going to be to prevent Donald Trump from being in the White House again. I'm all for that. Like, right. you know, anything I can do to help her on that mission is a good thing. But look at what's happened. Just I want to pull up this graphic. For, I want to show you what has happened to the 10 House Republicans yep. who voted to impeach Trump. Three lost their primary. Liz Cheney is awaiting hers. Two won their primary. Four have decided to retire, basically, that there was no lane for them. I mean, Donald Trump won this round, right? Can't you conclude <laughs> I, I, that? I, I want to I put it in perspective. Um, certainly, that's, that, that's what the tail of the tape would tell you on the surface. But first of all, five folks, five folks just declined to run at all, one of which, Adam Kinzinger, we've got redistricted basically out of a seat by Democrats, by Democrats in Illinois. Right. right? Uh, three of them. Um, you know, Peter Meyer and Jamie Herrera Butler narrowly lost closed partisan primaries. I mean, you know, under 4,000 votes in the case of Peter Meyer, around 1,000 votes in the case of Jamie Herrera Butler. And the two who won are not coincidentally in two top two states. So in, in a state where it's actually set up where you can actually have election reform, those candidates can do well. They can defy the base. But these closed partisan primaries are designed to be killers. Mm. They're designed to kill people who have an independent set of mind that would make them a great candidate to win a general election. And that also is one of the things we need to fix downstream from this event. Mm. So, I mean, it's not, it's not necessarily them. It's the system. Is what it's the party. Um, you know, it, it's the system, but it's also, it's also the party. And these, these primaries and then these midterms also incentivize just the fringes to come out. They're not mm-hmm. really looking to get mo- the moderate majority. And so people like us stay home. Um, I did vote in my state's primaries, but, uh, you know, and so by design, it's bringing out the most rabid folks on the right and the left, which is why you get these kind of lunatic fringe characters running, and then come the general election, we're all surprised. Like, how did these weirdos get here? Well, because you stayed home. But you're right in the big picture, I mean, in terms of um, whether Donald Trump has won or not, because look at what's happened in Congress, right, in in the House in particular. You have, you know, um, McCarthy out there campaigning against a sitting member of his caucus. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just kind of unheard of all to, yeah. to, to curry favor with Donald Trump. And you had every single Republican vote against, you know, lowering um, prescription drug costs. I mean, the things that Republicans have done to keep Donald Trump happy over the last year. But this but is, the sickness. Started, this is the sickness in our <laughs> politics, right? Yeah. If more members of Congress had competitive general elections, right. they would feel more confidence in actually saying what many of them think in private and standing up to Donald Trump and having spine. Instead, they play to the base. They're afraid to speak up and do what's right. And that's the problem. If you had more competitive general elections, you wouldn't have this kind of extremism in Mm -hmm. Congress and this division and dysfunction. Okay, stick around, everyone. We have a lot more to talk about because back to school is causing a lot of anxiety for parents in many states. So coming up, controversial new education laws backed by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis go into effect. What those mean for teachers and students and just nationwide what's happening with teachers and students next. 
back to school time. And in Florida and really across the country, many kids are returning to classrooms that are struggling to find teachers. In Florida, there are these two controversial bills. There's one that is called the Parental Rights Act. It's also known by critics as the, quote, don't say gay bill. There's another that's called the, quote, Stop Woke Act. Both bills are creating a culture of confusion among teachers who are nervous that they could be open to litigation by parents who somehow disagree with the curriculums. This is happening in the middle of what the Labor Bureau is calling a nationwide teacher shortage. Back to talk with us about all of this. We have John Avalon, Essie Cup, and Hillary Rosen. There's so much confusion, Hillary. I mean, first of all, in Sarasota, let me just give you one anecdote. Sarasota County School District has halted all donations and purchases of library books until they can figure out which ones are allowed with the new laws in Florida, because you never know which book could run afoul of Governor DeSantis's two laws because they're so vaguely worded. And by the way, no one knows how to enforce them in Florida. Yeah, the State Board of Education has told school districts that they're going to have to review all um, education materials. And look, I, th- I think this is sort of culture wars gone crazy in a way that, you know, it's, it's you know, and of course, students are the um, worst of it. Look, I'm, I'm sympathetic to, pe- to parents who want to have conversations with their kids, their young kids, mm-hmm. and have that control. And, you know, this might be politically incorrect of me to say, but I don't think that's a terrible thing. Yeah. I think what's <laughs> happened, though, is that this has been taken. It's hard to take what should be a conversation around a, a dinner table or a PTA meeting and turn it into a law that <laughs> teachers have to figure out how to interpret. Their job is hard enough. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, the problem, because you, you want teachers to feel like they can be educators and you want to trust them because they're there to do a good job. They're not there to indoctrinate people. And by the way, you can't turn a kid gay. Sorry. Well, and the irony <laughs> is that over in Arizona, the Republican uh, nominee over there, Carrie Lake, literally wants to indoctrinate kids with the Trump-approved curriculum from yeah. Hillsdale College and public schools. So, right. I mean, literal indoctrination here, but it's the left that's woke. And I, I just think the worst of it, there's going to be the lawsuits, which are terrible, um, and then there's the villainization of teachers, which teaches mm-hmm. kids to villainize teachers so that they're no longer partners in your education. They're the enemy. That's terrible. Um, as you say, they're already understaffed, underfunded. This is going to be worse. And then lastly, what I hope doesn't happen is I fear for transgender students who could be targeted um, by these laws because Ron DeSantis has told school districts to ignore federal guidance that would protect trans students from discrimination. That could have incredibly dangerous, real-life effects. In a way, I feel like, uh, I know you have something to say, John, but in a way, I feel like there's more conversation about this now in the schools than there ever was, which is really unfortunate to other other these um, kids and or these teachers who, you know, in their own personal lives, it's like, actually, they, there wasn't a lot of conversation about trans people in schools at this point. You know, there just wasn't. And they're making this an issue that it really didn't need to be That's an interesting. Issue. That's an interesting byproduct of all of this. I mean, if they're trying to squash it, it's making their, it's us making have more talk of these more. conversations. I mean, part of it is that, as Hillary said, not many people would object to not introducing the subject mm-hmm. of, you know, gender or sexuality to kindergartners through third grade. But as we know, that some this law is written so broadly that teachers are skittish now, and they don't sure. know what they're supposed to be saying if a kid approaches them with a question. 
Sure, and, and, and that has a freezing effect on just local control, classrooms, teachers being teachers. Look, I, I do think that, you know, parents have reacted positively to some of this stuff because there is a feeling of politics creeping into some of these conversations. But I think the downstream effect of our tribal politics is that we are weaponizing the essential diversity of our country, especially in a state like Florida, where all of a sudden people are projecting their own politics on, on these right. all, all these debates. So it's not actually removing politics no, from the classroom. It's, it's imposing a degree of politics. Yeah. Well, in a way, it's using the schools and using kids because they have control over it to have a culture conversation in society that is really not, it doesn't belong in the schools. This, this, they really are big government Republicans now. I mean, this is as intrusive as government gets into your private life, your your kids and school and education. This is all big government. But how about this idea? Ron DeSantis, because they're having a teacher shortage, has um, suggested and is encouraging veterans to uh, become teachers and they won't need a college degree. They can just get a certificate. I find this interesting because obviously veterans have a lot to offer. They certainly would have a lot to offer in the classroom, but without a degree in teaching, I'm not sure how that's going to work. I mean, and it's just, also, an ex- just experimenting, basically. Well, it's weird. Um, but also, is he under the assumption that all veterans are Republican Trump lovers? Because I know tons <laughs> that are not. And so, I mean, look, the right has co-opted, like, the patriot porn, um, you know, market for decades, decades. Um, and in some patriot cases, Democrats porn. have ceded it to them. Mm-hmm. But because of Trump, I mean, I know a lot of veterans who feel abandoned by the Republican Party. So I don't think that this was very well thought out. Interesting. Thought out. <laughs> uh, guys, great to have you here. S.E. Cup, John Avalon, Hillary Rosen, thank you so much. Thanks so much for watching tonight. And join me tomorrow in the CNN newsroom with Victor Blackwell from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern. And I'll be right back here tomorrow night. And with that, Don Lemon tonight starts right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.